Leadership Next is powered by the folks at Deloitte, who, like me, are exploring the changing rules of business leadership and how CEOs are navigating this change. Welcome to Leadership Next, the podcast about the changing rules of business leadership. I'm Alan Murray. And I'm Michal Avram. Alan, I am dialing in from the West Coast, as you know, and I'm enviously looking at you sitting live and in the studio with this week's Leadership Next guest. Um, What's very cool about today's guest, one of the things that's cool about him is that he's not just a newly appointed CEO of a Fortune 500 company. He is also a newly certified barista. Very exciting. Um, We're going to keep our audience in suspense for just a little bit longer, though. Uh, Before we introduce today's guest, Alan, very important question for you. When you walk into a coffee shop, not going to say the name of the coffee shop, what do you (laughs) order? Uh, I order a grande uh, skim latte. I used to get almond milk, but the almond milk was too sweet. So I moved back to skim milk. What do you order? I am a just black coffee, no matter where I am kind of person. So none, none of the, none of the fancy stuff and no pumpkin spice lattes for me. So go ahead, do your intro. I gave it away. You mainline the caffeine. Well, we have the caffeine man with us here today. We have the uh, CEO of Starbucks. Laxman Narasimhan. Laxman, thank you so much for being here. You've been in the job for six months. Um, but where I'd like to start is that before that, you did a six-month immersion. Tell us what that means, what it was like, why you did it. So when Howard, Melody, and I were talking about my entry into the company. Melody, uh, Hobson, Melody Hobson, chairman of the board. So Howard Schultz, Melody Hobson, and I were talking about my entry into the company. Um, the thought was very much to really immerse myself in the business, understand the culture, understand it from a partner's lens, uh, and also get, you know, really good at coffee, which I love drinking, but I just grew to realize. That and what is, is your drink, by the way? My drink is a doppio espresso macchiato with, uh, with some hot milk on the side. <laughs> you have to try the pumpkin spice martini, which is quite incredible. Oh, okay. Now you're talking. Now no, no, you're not talking. really talking. So, you know, you can maybe do a bit of a twist. Uh, I'm going to save my question about the oleato until later, but keep going. Ta- yeah. Tell us, this is fascinating that you actually became a barista. Yeah, I think the idea very much and, uh, you know, uh, d- uh, designed with Howard was that I would really spend time in stores um, and become a certified barista, which is what I did. Um, I worked in stores across the U.S. Uh, I worked in stores in Europe, in Mexico. Uh, as well as in China and Japan. And it gave me a real lens into what it meant to be a partner at the company. But now, a, a lot of people would say this is crazy, right? Yes. I mean, it's like, why you should be somewhere studying the books, looking at the finances, and you're actually in the store. That's a different approach to leadership training. Explain why you did it. Our brand is delivered through our partners. And because a brand is delivered through our partners, the best way to experience the brand is to be with the partners. Now, in terms of the duration of length of time, you know, people will say you're a sitting CEO. Why would you give that up and go and be that? And uh, somebody even asked me this question. Why was your training six months long? And I said, that's a very Western way of phrasing the question. Because if you were Eastern, you would ask the question, why was it only six months? And so I learned a lot. And I think it was a really uh, good push 
from both Howard and Melody that I would do that. Well, can you just go one step further and talk a little bit about your what you mean by Eastern and about your upbringing and how that affects the way you approach leadership before I turn it over to Mahal, who is bursting with questions about uh, new forms of coffee that she can start drinking. <laughs> no, I think, you know, <laughs> I came to this country from India. I grew up, I came here as a migrant or an immigrant. Um, uh, you know, two suitcases, $7,700, and because I'm Asian, a pressure cooker, uh, because my mom thought I wouldn't eat much here. And from there, I've gone on this journey, you know, graduating from Penn and Wharton and Lauder, where I speak German, and did the German program there. I've been to many places. Today, we're in our 25th home in 30 years of marriage. Whoa. Yeah. And so, um, but I've learned a lot about, you know, leading in that sense. Um, I think, to me, um, you know, there's a relentless curiosity about the leadership. And I think uh, the more I've learned, the more I've realized, the less I know. So, you know, really important to, to learn a ton, but also learn how to unlearn. Mm -hmm. And that has meant actually a lot of meditation around what do we give up versus what do we keep editing is a big part mm -hmm. of how I think about it. So there's relentless curiosity. Then, you know, I've learned, uh, being the only child, uh, only surviving child of three, I've learned people really matter. And as I've gone through life, I've become a people collector. So I've extended networks of people that I've actually worked with, stayed in touch with, studied with, and so on. And I've lived in so many different parts of the world. I see patterns, but also having been exposed to many contexts, be it in Guatemala when I was running, the, you know, the CEO of Latin America for Pepsi, or in China, or in Japan, or in, in Europe, Pattern recognition is a big part of my leadership. The fourth is resilience and grit. I mean, I've had many terrible things happen to me, you know, in my life personally, but I think it's really built in me this sort of win from within mentality. And the last thing is a sense of renewal. You know, every five to seven years, I've done something different. McKinsey was there for 19 years. I had three careers there. So mm -hmm. I think renewal has been a very big source of energy, new learning for me. And you know, I've trained for this job for 30 years without knowing it. I want to ask you a, a bit more about the the takeaways from this six month immersion, and and obviously in a lot of what you're saying right now as well about your your own life experience. Um, we can really hear sort of the the human and the human connection aspect and how strong that is. But one of the things you said uh, to the company, uh, um, one of your first public communications as CEO, um, was a detail of your takeaways. And the top one was really that, that Starbucks is in the business of human connection. Um, and you revealed the new mission statement that with every cup of coffee, you nurture the possibility of human connection. Can you talk a little bit about why you chose uh, to go with this? Why is Starbucks so ripe for human connection? Why does that matter today, especially? You know, Mahal, I was in the store at Beverly uh, outside of Chicago, the south side of Chicago. And I had a drink, it was an order, and I was gonna hand it out uh, through the drive-through window. And a woman pulls up, drops the window, and I look at her, her face is half made up with the makeup box in front of her. And she's looking at me with a mix of, you know, anxiety as well as anticipation as to this beverage that we had crafted for her. And when I gave it to her, I saw, you know, a different sense of, I would say comfort, calm that came into her. And it takes me back to what I do first thing in the morning when I have a cup of coffee. I look for my moment of Zen. I look for a moment of actually connecting with myself. And even though she was in the drive-through, she was connecting with herself. 
Now, we've talked about this notion of a third place, about you connecting with others. And you bring those two ideas together. At the end of the day, what we do with coffee, whether it's in our stores, whether it's at home, whether it's in a drive-through, whether it's in a cafe, we help folks connect with themselves in order for them to connect with others. And we are really, and I've always said, we are in the business of human connection. Now, our mission statement didn't really have the word human connection in it. It had words which were beautiful and really served wonderfully for us. Words inspire and nurture the human spirit. Uh, One cup, one person, one neighborhood at a time. But it had been written before the iPhone came in. And uh, there were two things that happened. One is we thought we'd bring human connection into the mission. And the second thing is that we would give agency to our baristas because of every single action leads to a higher order uh, purpose for them. And this was developed in uh, close coordination input from hundreds of partners from around the world. And what we ended up doing was we ended up with this mission, which was with every cup, with every conversation, with every community, we nurture the limitless possibilities of human connection. And as you see in my arms, it's a bit of an outward motion in terms of what we do. What it did for people was it also said, we're a business that's digital. So the conversation is both physical as well as digital. Neighborhood is clearly an important uh, uh, locus for us. But given what we do with digital, we're connecting with communities around the world. So that's how we actually, in some ways, contemporized the mission and brought that in. But what I've realized is that as I've looked through the windows of our stores, working there and talking with our partners, there is truly a crisis of loneliness. And there is a need for human connection. There have been many customers I've seen come in who frankly may not have spoken to a lot of people, but they need that kind of connection. I was working in a hospital store where my mother was in hospital a few weeks ago, quite ill. And in the hospital store run by actually a social worker at Starbucks who was the store manager, I got to see fathers who were excited about the baby that was born overnight. Or I got to see people who were patients coming to the store anxious about the tests that they were going to have. Or frankly, we saw people with loss. And they came to the store and found ways to connect with our store manager, Kelly, who's an amazing woman who runs that store, and with me because I was there. So I think there is a need for us to really understand what's really going on through the world. And as I've looked through our stores, whether it's in the US or Europe or Japan, where we have three senior citizens walk in, sit down with a cup of hot coffee, Mahal, you would love that. those people are all looking for connection. And we have but, but, but Laxman, how did the pandemic change that? I mean, in my mind and in my experience, pre-pandemic, pre the kind of explosion of mobile orders, the Starbucks, uh, Starbucks was a place where people did go in and get a cup of coffee and sit and talk and interact. Then we had this pandemic, which uh, uh, was discouraging interaction. We were all doing mobile orders. The goal was to go in and get your coffee and get out as quickly as possible. And today, I have to say, I mean, I was at a Starbucks this morning. There were like 15 people kind of crowded around waiting for their mobile order and not many people sitting in the store. So I wonder what your view is of the pandemic experience and how you recreate those kinds of human connections uh, now that you've become sort of a mix of people trying to get mobile orders and get out of the store and people trying to linger and have a conversation. So first of all, we need to do better to ensure there isn't the line of 15 people, Alan, in the store that you're in. So clearly work that we are doing. It was rush hour. It was rush hour, of course. Yeah, I can appreciate that. And we thank you for your business. Um, What I will say though, is that the pandemic did in fact 
have quite an impact on consumers. And it did, in fact, have quite an impact on Starbucks. And we're still working our way through it. Having said that, that moment of interaction, even in a drive-through, where you are speaking with the barista, is actually a moment of connection. The time when you do place the order, you do pick it up, and we should do better at it, you know, in a systematic manner across our stores. That moment of connection sometimes is enough. You know, two-thirds of the people who are looking for food and beverage go to a store alone. And, you know, they want to be part of a community. They want to obviously see that. And yes, there are people who come in digitally, but being digital doesn't mean you can't connect with folks, which is why conversation. There are things we're doing even digitally to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're going to, in a lot of ways, see us reimagine what connection means in a world that's omni-channel and bring that to bear. So, and, and another another wrinkle here, or, or I guess layer, um, in, in that same letter uh, we mentioned, um, you also promised your shareholders long-term returns. Very natural thing to, to promise. Um, can you talk a little bit about how you balance that with this sort of purpose for connection for coffee to, to, to for Starbucks and coffee to mean so much more, um, you know, fighting loneliness and making that space for people? Um, how do you balance that? I mean, does that coexist for you? Um, because ultimately, you guys sell coffee. You sell, by the way, I should mention, mango dragon fruit refreshers. My daughters are very loyal Starbucks I customers. <laughs> and I spend a lot of money on those drinks too. So talk about that that balance and whether you see those two coexisting. I think the most distinctive brands in the world have a great set of functional benefits. They offer a great set of emotional benefits that actually link in a lot of ways to what the functional benefits are. But the truly distinctive brands, they also deliver an emotional, uh, a spiritual benefit. And if I think a little bit about connecting with yourself and what that means, you know, and how it elevates who you are, that's actually very good business. So the fact that we're doing this, the fact that we get the routine, the fact that people come to us often when they're looking for this is in fact really good business. So I don't think that there is a trade-off per se. What it does is the ability to deliver this consistently around the world helps us be, build ritual, helps us build you know, periodic visits and frequency, and ends up in good business. And we appreciate your mango uh, dragon fruit orders. Have you tried our mango dragon fruit frozen uh, refreshers? You might love it too. Is there alcohol in it? <laughs> <laughs> no, there's none, but you could do that at home if you wanted, and I won't look. Mahal, please. I'm just asking for the mom version, that's all. Yeah, of course. <laughs> the mom version has to be done at home. <laughs> Jason Gersadis, the CEO of Deloitte US, is the sponsor of this podcast and joins me today. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, Alan. It's great to be here. Jason, everyone in business is talking about AI. It clearly has the potential to dramatically disrupt almost every industry, but a lot of companies are struggling. What are some of the barriers that companies are facing in creating business value with AI? Yeah, Alan, AI is on every client's agenda. I think every CEO and board interaction and conversation that I'm a part of proves the fact that the promise of AI is widely held and the hope is far and deep that it creates business value. But there's 
challenges to be sure. What we've seen is that the probability of success increases dramatically with strong executive sponsorship and leadership. There has to be a portfolio of investments around AI, as well as to link the business ownership with technology leadership to see the value of AI-related investments. Over time, we're optimistic and confident that the value will result, but it will be a portfolio where there's short-term opportunities for automation improvements around productivity and cost takeout, and then longer-term, medium-term opportunities for business model innovation that are truly transformational. So this is a classic case where it won't be a single approach that realizes value for AI. It sounds like you take it a step at a time. I think a step at a time and also a portfolio recognizing that some investments will have short-term benefit where you can see immediate use cases creating financial and business impact, but longer-term opportunities to really invent different customer experiences, different business models, and ultimately create longer-term benefit that we can't even fully appreciate at this point in time. Jason, thanks for your perspective and thanks for sponsoring Leadership Next. Thank you. So, so you were recently in China. Yeah. Uh, China is a huge business for Starbucks. You've got more than 6,000 stores there. You were saying earlier, you're opening a couple a day. Um, uh, and yet we're also in a world where geopolitics is becoming much more pronounced. There's some tension between China and the Western world. How do you think about that? How does it affect your business, if at all? Our business in China is known as Xing Baker, which is the Chinese name for Starbucks. And uh, it's a business that's been built over the last 24 years. And Howard, when he went to China, it was a brilliant vision to say, I'm going to China in order to build the specialty coffee industry there. And you know, I was there recently, as you said, uh, with our local team. By the way, our team is entirely local, right? Like a lot of multinationals where you send people in. It's been built from the ground up by a tremendous set of Chinese partners and leaders. So I feel really proud of them and honored to have them on our team. Um, and when I went there, what I saw in front of me in this amazing factory, it's the most advanced factory that we have, um, you know, LEED certified, you know, meeting every sort of green certification that you could think of. It's, um, it's a vertically integrated operation because we now grow coffee in Yunnan. And, you know, we have this roaster, roastery, that large roastery that is actually uh, roasting coffee for us in China. The ability for us to deliver freshness and quality is much better as a consequence of it. But what I saw there was truly a manifestation of the dream Howard had when he went to China. Manifestation of the dream, you know, with this amazing factory. But what it also was is a statement of our ambition. China is 10% of our business and uh, it's growing. Clearly the US is in fact the biggest part of our business. We also have a lot of opportunity in markets other than China and the US. In fact, you'll see us talk more about it. But back to China, we are opening a store every nine hours. And the reality is that we are building a bridge between two peoples in terms of coffee. Xingbaka is a brand that the Chinese consumer loves. And uh, we have an incredibly loyal set of consumers. The number of, you know, the frequency of our loyal consumers is going up. What they buy is going up too. And you know, we're in the coffee business. And so we've had encouragement on both sides to ensure we keep this bridge going. But you know, at the end of the day, we're like a lot of consumer product companies. You know, we are out there delivering a brand, delivering a service that Chinese consumers love. 
And, and you clearly think it brings the world together and the connections perhaps uh, lead to peaceful outcomes. But the scenario that a lot of business leaders are playing through after Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine is, geez, what if this had been Xi Jinping marching into Taiwan? Would you then be McDonald's, you know, in a situation where you come under pressure to close or get rid of your Chinese operations? Have you thought about that? How do you think about that? What's your position on that? We have no such plans. We have a real belief in the long-term uh, potential of our business in China. We believe we are building bridges uh, over coffee. And I think uh, the kind of things that we do uh, entirely fit into the life of the Chinese consumer and uh, we're committed to the long-term future that we have in China. We have no such plans. You, you recently announced a pretty ambitious growth plan beyond China uh, as well, of course, and including in the U.S. Um, can you talk a little bit about what led to this announcement, why this is good timing for you? I mean, we've seen Starbucks kind of, you know, expand and contract according to what's going on in the world and the economy, of course. But, but tell us a little bit about... Um, why you feel confident that this is the right time to expand in this way, pretty in a pretty ambitious way. And, and where are the, the bright spots? Where are the opportunities, including within the US? First of all, we just opened our 20,000th store outside the US. Uh, we have about 16,000 plus stores in the US and 20,000 now outside. Um, if you look at the white space opportunities, there are many. They range from continental Europe to uh, Europe, uh, to, to the Middle East, to Africa, to India, to Indonesia, to Latin America. Um, you know, we opened our 660th store in Beijing and our 400th store in, um, um, you know, in, um, in Hangzhou. And we have 325 stores in India. So when you start looking at the dimensionality of what I'm talking about here, including in Latin America, we have 225 stores in Brazil, 800 in Mexico, and you know, white space opportunities pretty much everywhere, including in the US. In the US, if I look at Manhattan, uh, or I look even at sort of, uh, and I've had a lot of feedback here as well, saying, hey, we'd love you know, more pickup options, you know, help us um, deliver what we want in places that you know, we want coffee and you have a Starbucks nearby. If I look at second tier and even third tier cities in the US, a lot of growth coming in the south and southeast, there are white spaces everywhere. And uh, so we haven't fully tapped into the full set of store opportunities in here. The announcement we made is actually part of our earnings call, where we talked a little bit about our, our legs, you know, our priorities. One being to elevate the brand, which I can touch on more if you'd like. The second is to get strengthened and scale digital. But the third is to get more truly global. And we see the global opportunity is real for us. The unit economics of the stores are great. And uh, it's an opportunity for us to ensure that with our geographical partners, of which we have you know, several, we have the ability to truly fulfill the need that we see in those markets of the brand that's really powerful, that has range, and that travels. Because back to this notion of human connection, what I see working in the stores internationally too, the need for human connection is a global need. I see you're wearing an aura ring, as, yes, as yes. am I. I like your color though, my God. Thank you, we yeah. can trade. <laughs> it's helpful in tracking sleep. So I have to ask you a really important question, which is how many of those dopio macchiato with milk on the side drinks can you drink in a day? And when do you stop? I stop at two o'clock. Two o'clock is the last one. Two o'clock is when I stop. And how many you cram in after, before two o'clock? After two o'clock though, 
You know, we have a wonderful range of teas, Alan. I don't know if you've tried this, but we have the range of teas that you're gonna love. Mahal, you'd love it too. And you know, we have uh, some wonderful relaxing teas that I know you would love, but I stop at two o'clock and I don't normally have more than four. Four is a lot. Particularly if they're dopios. That is two dopio macchiatos, four shots. Four shots, yeah. okay, good. Mahal, I know you have a, a final question. Well, have we gotten to oleados yet? Oh, we have to talk about oleados. I kind of feel like we need to, please explain to the world what is an oleado. Okay, um, the oleato is a manifestation of the genius of Howard Schultz in terms of a creative idea of uh, you know, going back to Italy, going to Sicily in this particular case, and actually combining um, you know, two things that Mediterraneans love in their cuisine. One is clearly coffee, and the other is olive oil, bringing that together. And I remember the first time he showed it to us, and uh, you know, we wondered about it, and then we <laughs> tasted it, and it was actually distinctive. Um, it's a tremendous combination of the two. I'd like you to, I'd encourage you to try our golden foam. It's an innovation by our customers. They've taken olive oil and made it into a special customization that goes on top of the drink. It brings a very silky feel as you drink the coffee. And uh, it's great for folks. I, I like it. I can't believe I made it this far in life without having tried it. I'm, Alan, I'm just really think about it. You'd look so much younger if you'd had it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A, a, a Why real... are you laughing so much, Mom? <laughs> oh, that's that was really too... too much of a laugh. That was too close for comfort. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I, I, uh, I don't have any words to say. No, I do have a real final question though. So as you're sipping this Oleato, what book are you reading? We've been asking everybody we interview, what's a book that you read recently that really uh, resonated, that left an impact and that you would recommend? So the book I'm reading um, is a book that is based in India, but it's the time of the OP wars. Uh, and it's a book that's known as The Covenant of Water and it's by Abraham Verghese. Um, it's a tremendous book. I'm taking my time reading it, given all the travel that I've had, but I'd highly recommend it. Good, I'll put it on my list. Laxman Narasimhan, thank you so much for this conversation. Really interesting. I'm gonna go find that Oleato somewhere. I'm sure I can find it somewhere in Manhattan. You can, you go to our roasteries and you'll have it. And I'll just ensure that you try all three of them. We have a hot version, we have a cold version, and we have one that could even be spiked just for you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Leadership Next is edited and produced by Alexis Hott. Our theme is by Jason Snell. Our executive producer is Megan Arnold. Leadership Next is a product of Fortune Media. Leadership Next episodes are produced by Fortune's editorial team. The views and opinions expressed by podcast speakers and guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Deloitte or its personnel, nor does Deloitte advocate or endorse any individuals or entities featured on the episodes. 